Cause sometimes I be right Hello Welcome To the show I have returned The unquestioned king of the sports podcasting thing has returned That's right I am back from my hiatus I'd like to thank all of you Who continue to support even though I was Noticeably absent I appreciate it I noticed while I was gone Older episodes were still getting Some listens, some downloads Some new followers I really appreciate it Put a lot of work into all that stuff So I'm glad Even after the fact It's still having somewhat of an impact Um, Don't want to bore anybody Or kind of make anybody uh, You know, lose interest immediately But I was gone For a reason Uh, It started out I was working on a home renovation project for my wife, so I missed a week, and I said, all right, I'll be back next week, and then sure enough, ba-boom, doing some yard work, and uh, completely destroyed my back, so I, I slipped the disc pretty bad, I uh, was laid up, pretty much unable to really walk normally for about two weeks, got a, got some steroids in me, uh, that helped out, but now I'm, I finished physical therapy, I'm still out. I'm still not 100%, and I got some follow-ups next week where uh, we're going to be talking possibly having surgery. So that's where I've been. (laughs) But I'm back now. Listen. Let's intro this thing, man. Welcome back, Cyber Family. I don't remember the intro. (laughs) It's been so long. Oh man, this is Sometimes I'll Be Right. I'm your host, John Farris, reporting live from Trash Can Studios. As always, joined by my co-host, Wally. Say what up, Wally! That's right, the whole gang is back together. I am reporting live from Trash Can Studios. There have been some upgrades to the studio space. I am now no longer sitting in a squeaky chair. I am now uh, lounging back pretty pretty comfortably on a, on a, on, a, on a couch. Yep. Uh, you guys will be seeing soon. I got some announcements to make at the end of the show. We'll save that for the end of the show. Listen, I've noticed while I was gone, man, I was I was paying attention. I was listening to stuff. I was watching stuff. And I was seeing stuff happening. And trust me, man, I wanted to jump on here and say a bunch. But, man, I couldn't, I couldn't sit comfortably. You know what I mean? Then I had just so much stuff going on and dealing with all that stuff. It just, I wasn't in the right headspace to sit down and record a podcast. So I figured rather than... You know, give you guys some garbage. I'll wait until I'm and I'm doing good. And so I feel like today, today is that day, ladies and gentlemen. I have returned. And you know what we're gonna start with? Let's get into some quick hits. Quick hits, quick hits. So here we go again, man. Here goes another. I feel like this time last year, the same thing happened. So the Lakers recently acquired Patrick Beverly. And immediately, there's like a, a, a surge of, oh, this is a good fit. Oh, this is what they need. Oh, this could be really good for them. And it's the same thing that happened with Russell, Res- Russell Westbrook. Gotta keep rusty, y'all. <laughs> but it's the same thing that happened with Westbrook, right? They make the trade for this guy, and everyone immediately jumps on how good of an idea this is now, how great this could be if it works. And they hype up and they raise these expectations. And then when it doesn't end up being that, guess what? Oh, it's the player's fault. 
We've spent an entire NBA season and now almost the entire offseason trashing Westbrook because he didn't live up to the standards that you, the media, set. And you're doing it again with Patrick Beverly. Look, Patrick Beverly is a good, hard-nosed, tough player, right? Like, he's a solid player. When he's on, he's on as far as defense. But guess what? He's getting older. I promise you, you've heard for years now guys talking about how he's not that great at defense he doesn't really pose that much of a problem he is a pest but he kind of tricks you guys or whatever even him and Westbrook had got, got a thing going on right so now you're bringing that into that locker room and what Patrick Beverly can hit threes now is he a great shooter now how is he gonna help LeBron achieve the championship how is he gonna keep Anthony Davis healthy how is he gonna allow Westbrook to integrate with the team better Westbrook doesn't make them any better And yet there will still be people who think that Westbrook, that was a good pickup. It wasn't. It was a useless pickup. But again, you're going to hype it up, but that's what you guys do. You build up players just so that when they come in and perform the way they always do, you can trash them. I'm on to the game. Speaking of hyping players up, has anybody noticed that uh, all of a sudden Kenny Pickett, like guys are going goo goo gaga for him? Look, I understand. Here's my here, here's what I'm going to say. If Kenny Pickett was ready to start right now in the NFL, why didn't he go in the top 10? Why did no other team want him in the, in the first round? Why did why did he fall all the way to 22 to the Steelers? Hmm? You think you think all these other GMs just got it that wrong? I understand he was the only first round quarterback taken. So you feel like, oh, he's the best of them. But let's be honest. He's playing in the preseason. Okay, he's playing against guys who might not even make the team. Or if they do make the team, they're certainly not going to get any playing time unless there's some injuries. So he's going against third stringers. And number two, the biggest key of it is they're not game planning for him. The defense is not trying to do things to stop him. They're going out there with a base defense. It's super simple for an offense to see. Like, there's no game plan against him specifically. There's nothing in play for it to stop him. Why are we doing this again? Falling into the trap of a guy performs well in preseason and we all of a sudden want to anoint him as, oh, look, he could really play. We don't know what Kenny Pickett is going to do in the league. Because when the the real bullets start flying, like, then you go and see. Then his deficiencies will come out, and then all the reasons why nobody really wanted to draft him early in the first round is going to come out. Look, he's a good story. He's a great story for Pittsburgh. Went to Pittsburgh from Jersey, semi-local guy. He's their guy. He played at Pitt. He played in that same stadium. He's their guy. I get it. Great story for them. But right now, Mitchell Trubisky is better. He just is, and he he should start. And you should put Kenny Pickett on the sideline and let him sit and let him learn. It's that simple. The next thing that happened, and this is like a couple weeks old now, but uh, while Fernando Tatis was rehabbing his wrist, you know, he had surgery on his wrist. Uh, if you don't know who that is, I don't know what to tell you. Shortstop for the Padres, really good player, one of the best young players in the league. Actually, the guy that got me back into baseball. Well, he tested positive for PEDs. And the thing that bothered me about it is there was this whole campaign of, oh, the players are mad at him. He's got to meet with the players and apologize. And then they'll see if they can they can forgive him. And then he had to address the media and apologize. Can we stop acting like we care? Can we stop pretending like we care about this? Oh, you got to protect the integrity of the sport. Let's be honest. We have no idea 
who, if any of the guys playing baseball in the beginning of time were good guys, they might have all been scumbags. They might have all been involved in, in some things that you would think are really, really disgusting and horrible and might even get them arrested. But the difference was they didn't have social media. They didn't have the 24-7 news cycle. They didn't have people trying to take them down and trying to criticize their character. We don't know what type of performance-enhancing substances they were using. In the NFL, guys were using stick'em, which is basically putting glue in your hands so you can't drop the ball. Is anybody trying to take away their records or their stats or anything like that? Like, we don't care. We don't care. Let me tell you something. Let me ask you something right now. If you're a baseball fan, would you care? Would you care at all if you found out every single hitter was using steroids? And if you would care, why? Steroids don't make you hit a baseball better. They will not raise your batting average. They will not make you a better baseball player. They don't. There has never been a guy who's taken steroids who became a better baseball player. It has never happened. Okay? Now you could tell me, oh, he hit more home runs. Did his average go way up? Like Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer before he ever started taking steroids. Unless you think he always took steroids, but that's a different conversation. Mark McGuire hit home runs since the beginning of time. He set the record for rookies as far as home runs in a single season. Like these guys, I understand what you're saying right oh it's cheating it's cheating yeah i get it it is cheating sure whatever but at the same time if everybody's doing it then what difference does it make i remember a famous quote saying if you ain't cheating you ain't trying now we're gonna crucify these guys for 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 quote-unquote cheating and he's not even playing Here's what steroids are for. Steroids help you to recover. If you're a guy that worked out today and you got to go work out tomorrow, well, if you take some 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 steroids, take some HDH, your body will recover a lot faster so you can maximize your workout tomorrow. Whereas most guys are going to be tired on day two of the baseball season, you're going to have plenty of energy. It's going to give you more energy. It's going to give you more strength. It's going to allow you to train harder, train longer, do all of that stuff. But it's not, you can't, I can't take steroids right now and go out and start hitting home runs in the major leagues. It's just not going to happen. So can we just stop pretending like we care about all this stuff? Honestly, can we just stop pretending like we care? It's okay that you don't. I don't care. What do I care? The guy's injured. The guy's young. The guy wants to play. The Padres are in the playoff race, and they wants to get in there and play with the guys. They just got Juan Soto. They just made some moves, and they're, like, set up and ready to go, and he wants to be a part of it. If the dude took a little bit of HGH to try to help himself recover faster so he can get back on the field, I ain't, you ain't got to apologize to me. And if I'm a player in that locker room, look, bro, I get it, man. Whatever. You tried it. You got called. You going to face a penalty. Whatever. That's cool, bro. Like, are you still my friend? I ain't going to be mad at you. Like, you got to, I got to see if I can forgive you. Like, What? And for the sports world to act like we have this old moral high ground, we don't really care. Right? It's the same thing about suspensions in the NFL. We don't care. We don't care about Deshaun Watson and what he did. All you care about is if he's on your team and if he can help you contribute, then that's fine. It's the reason why the Browns, even though he did what he was accused of doing, even though all that stuff was going on and all that, oh man, should he play, should he not play, they gave him a guaranteed $230 million contract because they didn't care. They felt like, yeah, whatever, as soon as the suspension is over, you're going to come and you're going to help us win. And that's all we care about. And as fans, those Browns fans are going to cheer him. And if he was still in Houston, the Houston fans were going to cheer him. And I don't care what team you like, if he went and played for your team and you started winning, you would cheer him too. We don't care. This is sports, man. Sports is supposed to be the escape from reality. If somebody does something wrong morally and you think it's morally wrong, fine. 
don't dislike the guy if you want to but if he comes to your team and you root for the team and you still continue to support and continue to watch and continue to cheer when the guy does something well then don't sit there and pretend like you care that he did something wrong in the first place because we don't i think the reality is we don't know these guys i don't know none of these players so I don't know who's a good guy, who's a bad guy, who's not. All we know is the image that's presented to us. But honestly, we don't care about that. We care about your performance on the field. So in my opinion, Fernando Tatis never needed to apologize to anybody for that. That's between him and the people that's closest to him. He don't owe me as a fan an apology at all. And I hate the fact that they made him sit in that dugout with that little ass polo <laughs> and apologize to everybody. Like, who are you apologizing to the reporters? What? Bro, you didn't embarrass nobody. We don't. It's baseball. We assume steroids are in baseball. There's people right now who will tell you Aaron Judge is on steroids. Shohei Otani is on steroids. Like, come on now. That's just the thing about baseball. That's part of baseball's history. And baseball needs to knock it off pretending like steroids and steroid use is not a part of your history. It's been going on since the beginning of time. That's it for Quick Hits. So I wanted to start today. Uh, I posted, actually, I, I went on live Instagram earlier this week, uh, and, and once I found out the news that, um, that RJ Barrett, that he was getting the rookie extension, which is a four year up to $120 million from the Knicks, and that that was going to complicate the Donovan Mitchell trade because RJ Barrett was apparently linked as someone that Utah wanted in return. And uh, what I had said, what I was thinking that night before I got the news that they were going to extend him was I would put R.J. Barrett in that trade in a heartbeat. If it, Look, here's my thought. I'm a Knicks fan, right? I've been a Knicks fan as long as I can remember. I remember watching the Knicks and Patrick Ewan and John Starks trying to beat the Bulls, and it couldn't happen. And then I remember them going to the finals in 99 against the Spurs, getting washed i remember crying after that finals because i was so devastated (laughs) and then they have not been legitimately good since they've had a good year here or there that always ended in abject failure followed by a season that was absolutely dreadful hard to watch even if you're the knicks you need to get out of the potential business so if they want draft picks Give up the draft picks because you're holding on to them for the potential that you might be able to select a really good player. As a Knicks fan, what in the last 20 years through the draft have they shown you that they can do with draft picks? Because R.J. Barrett is the first guy signing a second contract with the Knicks in like 29 years. Something crazy, like 20 years, something So clearly they draft guys who don't stay because either they trade them or they end up being terrible so they don't re-sign them or they end up being somewhat good and then they go sign somewhere else. So they have a terrible history with draft picks. So why are you holding on to draft picks? Because you think now you have new management, it'll be different? Not to mention, again, as a Knicks fan, how many times have we seen them go into the lottery thinking they've got the second highest chances of getting a top two pick and then they end up with pick three or pick four or pick eight? Or pick 12. They end up with a pick that's just horrible. They have bad luck in the lottery. They're snake bitten. It's like Dolan sold his soul for something and he's paying the price. 
How many times have we seen them fail in free agency? They clear the books. They clear the cap. Oh, man, they got Clyde. We got two max spots this year. This summer coming up, two max spots. We're going hard for this guy. How many times have you seen it? They're linked to a guy. Oh, they're going to meet with this guy. This guy is considering the Knicks. And then it turns into like, no, I was never considering the Knicks. They never get that star player in free agency. They end up getting a B-level player like a Jalen Brunson, who I like, who I think is a good player, who I think is a great fit for the Knicks, and I think he's going to work wonders for them. I think he's perfect for them. A good, steady, solid, tough point guard who goes out there and plays every day, no nonsense, no diva, just goes to get the job done, knows how to win, plays under control. Yeah, I love him. Love the pickup. But if, if you're the Knicks and you think that we're going to go Google Gaga over Jalen Brunson as being the, the prize piece of free agency, you're mistaken. So my thought is, okay, so we're holding on to draft picks. Well, that's stupid. And then the whole idea of, oh, no, 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 no. They want the draft picks to be unprotected. Well, let them be unprotected. If you're the Knicks, if you get Donovan Mitchell, your idea is we're not picking in the lottery anymore. So what difference does it make? Everyone knows if you're picking out of the top probably six or seven, you're getting a wild card. It's a toss-up. There's been guys who have been great who came from the second round, late in the first round. There's guys that were undrafted that ended up being really good. But if you think you're going to hold on to pick 22 because, oh, my God, like, what if Donovan Mitchell doesn't work out and we need to draft? We need to keep that 22nd pick. Like, what? That's foolish. Give them unprotected picks. If you think this guy you're trading for is a guy that can make a difference in your franchise, then what are the draft picks worth? Now, everyone would ask, well, but R.J. Barrett, he's still only 22. He's still young. I'm going to ask you this. When was the last great basketball player going into his fourth year that you said he's still got potential to be really good? I'll say this. He was drafted number three in 2019. Zion Williams. Zion Williamson, you know he's good. You have no questions about how good he could be. The question, He's good, but he could be all-time great. If he never improves, he's going to be pretty good. He's going to be a pretty damn good player. John Morant, who, is anyone thinking that he still could be good, or do you already think, no, he's, he's legit. He's the guy. And then you have R.J. Barrett where you're like, hey, he's improving every year. <laughs> he's, he's getting better. And my question is, if you haven't seen it by now, what makes you think it's going to happen in year five or six? Like, that doesn't happen. And if you want to tell me how young he is, what are you talking about? Like, he, he, hasn't shown, he hasn't shown any takeover. He hasn't had any games where you just feel like, yo, this guy. He, has, he hasn't had a stretch of games. The guy's still bad from the free throw line. His three-point shot is still weak. He still goes one way. You know, he still only goes to his left, and if you cut that off, he's a little, eh. He never, he doesn't command anything in terms of the team, like, or, or respect, or he's not an alpha. That brings me to this trade where you say, all right, we're going to give up R.J. Barrett. If that's what they want, I would do it. Now, obviously, you can't now, but my point was in saying that, the reason why I feel like the Knicks need to get Donovan Mitchell is because Donovan Mitchell is young. I believe he's 25. So he's a young player. He's a guy that can still improve in certain areas, but is established as 25-point-per-game guy. You bring him to New York where he wants to be. He wants to be here. He wants to come here. He's got that dog in him. He's got that alpha. Late in game, give me the shot. Hey, we need to stop a run. I got you. 
play inside and out, three-point shooting better than R.J. Barrett. Shooting percentage better than R.J. Barrett. Free throw percentage better than R.J. Barrett. Points per game better. Assists per game better. He's a better player. Right now, R.J. Barrett is not as good as Donovan Mitchell. So if I gave, so if they continue to progress, if you say, oh, but he's going to keep getting better, well, so can Donovan Mitchell. And if I start out at a 10 and you start out at a 5, if we each grow one point every year, I'm always going to be better than you. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter how good R.J. Barrett could be. He's never going to be better than Donovan Mitchell. That's my thought. Because I believe basketball is one of those sports where you can come in as a rookie and make a difference. You can come in as an 18, 19-year-old guy and be and play great and be great. It doesn't take you five, six years to get in. It doesn't even take you a full year sometimes. Some guys come out right away and you see it, oh yeah, no doubt. And there's a lot of doubts with R.J. Barrett. You see some things you like and then you see some things you don't. And you're talking to a Knicks fan. I I watch the guy play all the time. So my focus is on the Knicks. So why am I going to hold on to a player who I feel like I can trade to get a better player for? And if you want to sell me on the idea of he potentially could be really good, yeah, or he could potentially be at his peak right now. He could be a little bit better than he is right now. And what if that's top end, that's it. This is what you got. You're going to take that chance. You're going to run off of the, the potential that he could be better over the sure thing now. If you're the Knicks, you can't do that. You've been a dog-do franchise for 20 years. You've been a franchise selling its fan base on hope and potential and next offseason. And when this free agency comes up, we're going to do it. And my question to you is, how many years do we have to hear that same spiel? How many years do we need to hear that? Before you finally come through and make good on one of your your predictions or one of your mission statements and say, hey, we've got a solid team and we're going to add to it and build on it and stop saying we can potentially be better in the future. What about now? If Donovan Mitchell comes in, now look, R.J. Barrett signed the extension. Apparently, Utah is trying to fast track it and saying, yo, we can make a trade even without R.J. Barrett being in it. I'm all for it. In a perfect world, keep them both and then you never have to figure out who's better than who. <laughs> As a Knicks fan, I'm greedy. If you're telling me I can have Brunson at the one, Mitchell at the two, RJ at the three, and then have Julius Randle at the four, and Mitchell Robinson at five, I love that starting five. I think, go ahead. You got a chance to make a run in the playoffs. As long as all those guys play their role. And as long as a leader is established and this is the guy, this is the B, whatever, then I'm good. So that would be awesome. But if you have to let a guy go, I got no problem letting one go. I got no problem letting R.J. Barrett go. Because again, in my mind, I think he is what he is. I think he's always going to be a guy that will have these moments where he pops and you say, whoa. But he's consistently going to be a good player, nothing more. I think he's going to be a lot like Andrew Wiggins. And I know... With the finals and the playoff run, Andrew Wiggins played great. But if Andrew Wiggins was the A on that team, you wouldn't be okay with the production he gave you. He was great because he was the third option. And you're like, this is great. Perfect for a third option. And I feel like there's a lot of similarities between R.J. Barrett, 
and Andrew Wiggins. RJ, RJ Barrett being the third option, man, he could be great. He could be awesome. Because then him giving you 17, 18 points a game is awesome. But if you chose him over Donovan Mitchell and he starts to give you 17, 18 points a game, it's not going to be enough for us Knicks fans. We're going to be pretty damn mad. Moving on. I'm be honest with you guys. For the rest of this show, I'm going to be talking about boxing. Um, I really dove. The two things I, I dove headfirst in during my, my hiatus was baseball. I got really into watching baseball. I watch baseball every night now. I watch every Padres game. Uh, and can I just say, watching the Padres, and I know you're probably thinking, the guy from Jersey, why do you like the Padres? I'll tell you what happened. I didn't really follow baseball. But uh, last year, oddly enough, I also I hurt my shoulder. So I was out of work on disability for my shoulder. And during that time, I started playing a little Nintendo Switch. <laughs> now, I'm not a video game guy, but I needed something to occupy my time. Uh, you know, we got the kids one for Christmas. Uh, so I started, I was like, you know what, maybe to kind of relax at the end of the night, I could play a little game. And I found this baseball game, it's RBI Baseball. It was super simple. Um, and so I started playing it. And I was like, oh, man, this is cool. And I also, at the same time that happened, um, I got an offer from T-Mobile for uh, MLB, um, I don't know what it's called, extra inning. I don't know what it's called, but it's where you can watch all the games nationwide on the MLB app. You got it. Watch any game you want. And so I started thinking, man, I know Manny Machado. Um, I've seen uh, Fernando Tatis. Uh, I love the way he plays. And so those were guys I would see in passing on like Sunday Night Baseball, whatever. Just have it on in the background. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to follow that team. The doo-doo brown, that's cool, that's different. I'm going to start following that team. I like a couple players on there. I'm going to start there. But now I'm watching them, right? So I started following them since last year. I've been paying attention, and I'm really enjoying it. I'm back into just loving baseball, man. Baseball is amazing. Baseball is great. I love baseball. Baseball, for me, is one of the 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 best sports because of how difficult it is and how long the season is. It's a game on every night. Like, it's amazing. I love it. It's awesome. But that's that's off on a tangent. My bad, y'all. Rantman is back. <laughs> but uh, what I noticed was there's so many similarities to me between the Padres now and the Red Sox of the early 2000s before they broke through and finally won a World Series, which they had a good team, but they always seemed to kind of mess it up somehow or shoot themselves in the foot. And the Dodgers are a lot like the Yankees where you have a division rival, so the Padres and the Dodgers are rivals, but the Dodgers are head and shoulders above the Padres. And the Padres can never seem to beat the Dodgers. They 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 struggle against them so much, and you can see it. It's like a mental thing at this point. And there's just so many similarities between that team and this Padres team. I'm going to have to really start doing some research and figure out the numbers, but I feel like those that's what it reminds me of when I watch the Padres now. They're easy to root for. There's some there's some gritty, grimy guys, some really good players, but they just constantly shoot themselves in the foot. They're constantly like an error here. Uh, they they're leaving men on bases constantly. They they seemingly choke the pitcher. They traded for one of the best closers in the game, and the guy stinks right now. He's give he's got like a 19 ERA and like three appearances for the Padres. So bad that they said, "Ah, we're gonna go to closer by committee," and he hasn't pitched in like the last two weeks. But you guys didn't come here for that. 
but that's just something I wanted to throw out there. The Padres right now are the are the same as the 2002-2003 Red Sox. So hopefully that means a, a World Series comes soon. <laughs> so um, I don't know how many of you watch UFC, but I am a boxing fan. And so because I'm a boxing fan, I also will sometimes check out the UFC because when there's like a big event, I just like, for me, boxing and UFC is like the truest form of competition where it's one guy versus another guy and they're trying to impose their will on each other and it's just you. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get you to quit mentally and physically give up and say that I am better than you. Those two things clashing is the purest form of competition. So I love it. So when a big UFC fight happens, I'm like, I'm, I'll tune in. I'll watch it. So I watched the Usman fight. And the, uh, God, who was he fighting? I feel bad because I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a, a hardcore fan. So I don't know anything about anyone. I just knew that it was a big fight. Right? And so I tuned in and I saw it. And the thing that shocked me the most, or not shocked me, but the thing that stood out to me the most was how the UFC is promoted in relation to boxing and why boxing is dead. And I say dead. I shouldn't say dead. That's a little hard. <laughs> it's not dead, but it's it's dying. And the death of boxing, in my opinion, was started by none other than Floyd Mayweather. And I know you're probably wondering, what? Yeah. I know. But, oh, it's Leon Edwards who knocked out Kamar Usman. And the amazing thing about that was, it was literally like he was getting dominated four rounds. Now, it was the fifth round, last round. There's like a minute 45 left, and he just kicks Usman in the head. Usman crumbles, fight over, knockout. The most improbable, shocking, surprising, holy cow, no way. Right? And then Leon Edwards is going crazy afterwards. You know, look at me now. And it's hilarious. It's so funny to me. I thought his post-fight interview was was absolutely hilarious. But it's awesome, right? And the thing that was, was it doesn't matter who Leon Edwards is. It doesn't matter who Kamar Usman is. What the UFC does is they promote the UFC. They promote the fight card. They promote the event. It's not just about each individual fighter. And hey, do you want to see this guy fight? No, it's hey, this fight is happening and that fight is happening and that fight is happening. And they try to stack the card and they do everything that they can to try to get every fight to be entertaining and to be a good matchup. Right? We want the best versus the best to give you the most entertaining fight. You can only do that when you're worried about the, the, the UFC and not the individual fighters. And now I said before that the death of boxing started from Floyd Mayweather. And I'll get into that a little bit. I'm going to break that down in a, in a separate, its own show. Because I got to go into deep detail with that. But the reason why I say that is just straight up because in boxing, it's all about the individual fighter. And so the desire of the promoters is to build up each fighter themselves so they have to put them in the ring with a guy who will make them look good so you start to build a trust and, and a love for this person 
And so someone being undefeated means so much more in boxing than it does in any other sport. You'll see a guy and say, oh, 30-0 with 26 knockouts. He's really good. Having never seen him before, you just immediately goes in your head, he's never lost. He must be really good. You could thank Mayweather for that. And because of that, because we have to promote the fighters, we know as soon as one of the as soon as this guy loses a fight, the interest in him immediately goes away or drops down significantly. Right? So this brings me to the biggest fight, or one of the biggest fights that could happen, because you also have Crawford versus Errol Spence Jr. That's a massive fight. But Tank Davis versus Ryan Garcia. That fight needs to happen. And it needs to happen for a couple reasons. One reason is because it will be a massive fight for multiple reasons. Because they both have massive fan bases that are going to watch it. It's also going to be great for boxing because you have the best fighting the best. Two guys who we think are really good fighting each other. We need that. You need that because you're taking two massively popular guys in the sport of boxing who are also popular outside of boxing. Tank Davis can command attention because he knocks guys out and he's little, he's small, and he's a baby Mike Tyson. You can sell that. It's easy to sell that. So people who don't really follow boxing might tune in and watch Tank fight because they know he's going to do something crazy and knock somebody out. Then on the other hand, you have Ryan Garcia who people are going to watch outside of boxing because he's got a massive following on social media. So they're going to support him because they like him. Right? So you're going to have massive audience just built in already. But now here's where the problem with boxing comes in and is going to stop this fight from happening. And number one, this is like the, the mega fight. And once you make this fight and you get this big pay-per-view and this big payday... Whoever loses that fight is going to lose a massive chunk of respect from the boxing community. Or at least say, ooh, man, maybe he wasn't as good as we thought. So the casual fans that are going to come watch this fight, whoever loses, they're going to say, oh, that guy, you know, he sucks or whatever. And then you're going to lose half of that casual audience and they're not going to come back. Even for a rematch, they won't come back. They're out. They're out on that guy. Because you spent so much time promoting the guy that his record means so much. That if he has a loss, he can't be as good as that guy because that guy has no losses. Never looking or examining their competition. You know what I mean? But here, here is why this fight needs to happen. And here is how this fight can happen. And 100% change boxing as we know it. Now you guys know me. I gave you guys a blueprint on how to fix college football. And in case you forgot it, I'll, I'll revisit it in another show again as the college football season is upon us. So here is what some people might consider my crazy idea, but I think is perfect. Boxing needs a facelift. We need to change the whole perception and the whole culture of boxing and the way it works. UFC wins fans over because they promote the event more than they promote the fighters. In boxing, promoters push certain guys being great. And they push their competition 
as, oh, they're a great too, but they're not great. They're terrible matchups in the hopes of building a guy up in order to cash out on a pay-per-view. See, every promoter is trying to get their guy to pay-per-view status so they can become a pay-per-view fighter so they can make money or make large sums of money. If their fighter loses, at least they got the payday. And if they wins, then they set up the next pay-per-view because they feel like he's now a star. So all they're doing is trying to get to that first massive pay-per-view. But the result is you keep putting these guys against cupcakes or against minimal risk to build their record up, to build up their reputation so that when you do put them in there against a stud or a bona fide contender, if in fact they lose, it's okay because we've already made this big payday. This fight alone is worth the payday and then he can go back to fighting on regular TV or on undercards or whatever. He doesn't have to be a main event guy anymore. We've already got the most out of him we can get, and now we can move on. But if he wins, then sure. We now have a bona fide star in our stable, and what a luxury. But in my opinion, pay-per-view was outdated. And what boxing has provided with pay-per-view is never worth it. Like, outside the main event, you really aren't getting much to see. Every once in a while, you get a Mayweather who tries to build up the next star in his undercard, like Tank. He's going against the guy he's supposed to win against in order to make him look good. So because he's on Mayweather's card, you're going to have him, who's your next guy, who you're clearly promoting as, this is the next guy. You're going to put him in there with a little softer competition. Make him look good. So whoever bought the pay-per-view to see Mayweather will see this guy, see him beat up on somebody and say, ooh, I'm going to start paying attention to that guy. Here's a solution. Tank fights Garcia but you don't put it on pay-per-view no you don't put it on regular TV you partner with a streaming service and in my opinion the best one to do Amazon Prime Video you make them the exclusive streamer of that fight now I know it's crazy it's crazy right but check this out Amazon Prime already has 200 million subscribers worldwide. Those people who already subscribe to Prime Video, 200 million potential people who can just click it and watch it. They don't have to sign up for anything. They don't have to subscribe. They're already there. 200 million worldwide. They immediately have access to it. They have to do nothing extra. And you can advertise it on Amazon with banner ads. Or you can do it where anytime you log on or you go on to Amazon or Amazon Music or Amazon Prime Video, it'll be a 10-second little video that pops up. You know, don't miss this fight, blah, blah, whatever it is, that'll pop up every time. You go on Amazon Music, you go to listen to something. As soon as the app comes on, boom, you hear the the radio ad. Just five, ten seconds. That's all it has to be. So you can't go on Prime Video without seeing the header being, you know, Tank vs. Garcia. You get, like, look, I know. You might take a loss up front because you got to pay for the venue. You got to pay the fighters. You got to pay the undercard. I get it. But you change the game because 200 million potential subscribers. Now, I know you say, ah, but 200 million people who have Prime might not be interested in boxing. So not all of those people are going to watch. No, they won't. You'll get some new people, potentially. 
But let's look at a recent movie that came exclusively streaming on Prime Video. It was The Tomorrow War, starring Chris Pratt. They got 2.4 million views over the first uh, four-day weekend that it was released. Now I broke that down. I said, all right, that's 2.4 million over four days. So that comes out to about 600,000 a day. You have a guaranteed at least 600,000 people who have Amazon Prime will tune into the fight. Can you guarantee me on pay-per-view you can get 600,000 buys for Tank vs. Garcia? Now you might say, yeah, maybe you could. Maybe you could. But you also have to remember that the the Tomorrow War was a sci-fi movie that's a very niche genre. It's not mass appealing to everybody. There's a bunch of people who didn't want to see it. If you stri- if you exclusively showed something, I don't know, like a Marvel movie, you would get a lot more viewers. Like I'm pretty sure the Marvel content that streams exclusively like the Marvel shows that's that stream on Disney Plus, I'm sure they're getting more than than 600,000 views a day. So if this fight is as big as you think it is, you have those if you can, so if you're telling me you can get 1.4 million buys easy. Well, those 1.4 million people who are going to buy a $100 pay-per-view would be willing to spend the 13, 14, whatever dollars it is a month to get Amazon Prime for a month. If they don't already have it. And if they already have it, that's still 1.4 million people who are going to be streaming this fight at the same time, which means what? You can sell ads. So you can get the same type of revenue you would get through pay-per-view. You just don't get that pay-per-view money. But now here's where you get it on the back end. So last year, football, they started streaming Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime as well. But here's the thing. They weren't streaming exclusively on Amazon Prime. It was also simulcast on like NFL Network. Or Fox, I don't remember who it was, but they were also showing it multiple different places. So you could choose. Now, the NFL was getting 4.8 million viewers on Amazon Prime for Thursday Night Football. How many more viewers would they have gotten if they, that the viewer didn't have a choice where they were going to watch it? If they had to go on Amazon Prime, that number is going to skyrocket, probably around 11, 12 million. And those games aren't even good half the time. Amazon is clearly trying to get into the live sports arena, which is why they're hosting, you know, all these streaming services are trying to get into live sports, live events. I think Amazon will be willing to partner with you. Right. And a way that you can also promote it would be to partner with Prime again to create a show in the vein of 24 seven like HBO used to do or all access like Showtime does. Where you'd have a Prime series detailing the entire lead up to the fight. Therefore, you have a place that people can go to watch all of this lead up and all of this stuff on Prime. But it's all there, right there for you. Easy access. Again, 200 million subscribers worldwide. There's people in other countries who might not buy this pay-per-view. But they might log in if they think these guys are interesting enough. And if you trust in your fighters and you trust in your promotion ability and you you trust them to sell the fight, put them everywhere. Advertise it like crazy. Invest the money into the sport. 
Again, you could put banner ads all over Amazon app, Amazon Prime. Have it every four minutes you're on the app or you're on Amazon website, something will pop up. Make it annoying if you need to, but get it in front of everybody so they have the choice to see it. The next thing you would have to do is you'd have to stack the undercard. Make every single fight elite fights. Try to make all of them big name guys. Now get all cross promote everything. So for example, Tank Davis is, is under Mayweather Promotions. Ryan Garcia is under Oscar De La Hoya. They have a long-standing rivalry since they fought in like 2007. They don't like each other. They go back and forth. Have it be a Mayweather versus De La Hoya card. Right? You have guys, you have the best fighters under Golden Boy fight the best fighters under Mayweather. You line them up by weight class. Hey, who's your best lightweight? All right, bye. Who's your best middleweight? Bye, bye. Do all, if you want to, make it a whole big thing about them because you know Mayweather's going to sell a fight. And you know De La is going to sell a fight. Make them part of the, 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 the all access, the 24-7, whatever you're calling your prime series. Make them involved in it as well. You can easily sell this fight. Now, if that doesn't work, If you don't want to go that route, just make sure the fights on the undercard are really compelling, tough, competitive fights. Make them all championship fights. Right? Maybe put like a a highly touted heavyweight in there with another highly touted heavyweight and see what they do. Get the guys who have a lot of personality, who have a lot of fire, a lot of gusto, a lot of energy. Get them in there together. Have everyone say, look, we need to put your ego to the side. You want to be a big dog? You want to be a big player in this game? You got to kind of put your ego to the side so we can make the bigger play. The money is an issue up front. I understand because promoters don't want to dish out money for no return. But these promoters have been robbing fighters for years. We've been paying our hard-earned money for these fights. They have the money. There's not a promote Mayweather is not hurting for money. He could dish out the money to take care of Tank. Garcia De La Hoya is not hurting for money. Golden Boy is not hurting for money. They could dish it out. And because Amazon Prime is willing to get in, get in on the game. Hey, they might be willing to give you some money, right? They might be willing to say, "Yo, we'll, we'll put up some money for this event. Let's see how it goes. Let's test it out." Now, can you imagine if this works? Imagine if you put it on Amazon Prime and you get 10 million viewers. Do you know the kind of ads you can sell? Do you know how much Amazon's going to want to pay you for the next one? Because regardless of who wins or loses, as long as the fight is competitive, you can easily set up a rematch. Amazon might go in on that. And that would be a way for you to completely change the game of boxing and get away from the pay-per-view model. I don't know why we're so tied to that. As if, like, the only way you could do it. Look, I wouldn't have a problem with pay-per-view if you weren't manipulating me to get to the pay-per-view. There are certain guys who are no good. Who just go out there and beat up a bunch of nobodies. Some people think Ryan Garcia is one of those. Goes out there and fights lower level competition so that he looks good and is building up this record and this resume and his popularity, but he's really fighting nobody. And now he wants to go into the fight negotiations thinking he's the A side because he's going to bring all the fans, but we already know he ain't as good as he thinks he is. That's because they're trying to sell him as a pay-per-view fighter. 
They're trying to set it up for pay-per-view buys. We as the boxing fans are not getting the best fights because everyone has to protect the zero on the record. The minute you lose that O and you are no longer an undefeated fighter, you can no longer claim that you are great or you are the best or you are the A side because the fan base only believes in the fighters as individuals and not understanding that, hey, if you fight the best, you might take some losses. All the greats in the history of boxing have losses because they fought the greats. They fought each other. It wasn't until, ding, 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 Mayweather that that undefeated record started to mean something. That that undefeated record started to give you the ability to talk as much trash as you want to. That that zero on the record somehow meant a payday for you. Meant that you were the A side. Meant that you were the best. Meant that you were better than anybody else. Because you've never lost. I'm untouchable. Well, the fans nowadays are smart enough to understand like that. We don't care about that record. We care about seeing an entertaining fight. And that's why the UFC is winning right now. Because look at all their champions. All got losses because they're fighting the best fighters in the UFC. And the fans don't care how many losses Nate Diaz has. They know when he gets in there, he going to fight and you're going to get a good fight. And, got, and people will sign up and will watch the UFC and will go to the events because they know every fight on that card was specifically designed to be an entertaining fight and to give you something exciting and something to watch and not just have you fall asleep. There's no tricks. There's no manipulation. There's no we want this person to look great so you love them. There's none of that. This guy is going to fight whoever is available in the UFC. There's nobody that's going to sit there and say, oh, no, he's untied. We can't fight him. The promotion is going to be too difficult. It's no, 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 no. You guys are fighting each other. And whoever wins, wins. And whoever loses, loses. And then we figure it out going forward. We got a new champion. Again, Leon Edwards is the champion. Kamaru Usman, considered to be possibly the greatest of all time, just got knocked out. Nobody thinks he's any lesser. They understand. Like, yo, you got caught. It happens. Now, if there's a rematch, guess what? You're going to see it again. And you're going to sign up to watch it to see what happens this time. Because you trust. You trust the UFC to give you good fights. You don't trust boxing. If you buy a pay-per-view, you already you already know. If you bought pay-per-view multiple times, like I have, me and my brothers watch pay-per-view all the time. If you watch pay-per-view fights all the time, you understand. You're going to get the main event is what you're ordering the pay-per-view for. And the undercard, if you get one of those fights that entertains you in any way, you say, that was a pretty good pay-per-view. We need to get rid of that. It's 2022. Quickly, 2023 is approaching. I think Tank Davis needs to fight Ryan Garcia, and I think they need to do it in an unconventional way to draw more interest and more eyes into the sport, open it up, and give us what we want, something that's entertaining, that's exciting, that's interesting, that's new, and change the format of boxing and allow the fighters to fight each other and let the fighters get away from all of these promoters who don't want to work with each other because they're all trying to just get the most money. They're no longer, we, the consumer, dictate who does what. We need to stop. We need to stop buying these pay-per-views. We need to stop watching these fights until we get what we want.
And what we want is the best to fight the best. We want the best fights. Give me great fights. And don't sit there and lie to me and say, oh, he's scared. Oh, he's scared. He ain't the A side. I don't care who the A side or the B side is. Pay both of them the same amount, then I don't care. Just let the best fight the best. And these promote every time they've done crossovers, it's worked out great. It's been great. Look at Mayweather Pacquiao. It's great. Like, yeah, the fight was a little underwhelming and the price was $100. So you felt like all of that build up for this, like, ah, it's disappointing. But those two guys were also past their prime. You give us Tank Davis, Ryan Garcia right now, you're going to get the same hype in the build up that you had for for Mayweather Pacquiao, except that the fight is going to deliver much more because these are two guys in their prime who win or lose can run it back. And they're not too old. Give us the fights we want. And I think you'd be smart to go approach Amazon and say, hey, listen, what do you want to do? Let's do something. The last topic I wanted to touch on today is something that's been eating at me for weeks. I'm going to say a statement. And then I'm going to define that statement. (laughs) I'm going to start by saying Jake Paul is a fraud. He's a fraud. And don't worry, I'm going to go in depth and I'm going to talk about it. The statement kept coming up and popping into my head that, man, he's such a fraud. He's a fraud. Because as you guys know, I've had a problem with Jake Paul. I've had an issue. And every time I talked about it, I feel like I just would give a different reason why I had an issue. And I kept saying, man, I feel like I can't put my finger on exactly what my issue with him is. And then I figured it out. So he was scheduled to fight. Hasim Rahman Jr. And it was billed as this big deal and he's finally fighting a boxer and he's fighting a heavyweight, he's fighting a dangerous guy. And I will admit to you going into it, had no idea who Rahman Jr. was. And so I did what everybody else did. I watched Rahman's late, late, most recent fight. And he looked okay. And then he got knocked out by Tommy Morrison Jr. Was his name Tommy Morrison Jr.? Tommy Morrison's kid, I'm sorry. I think, I'm pretty sure he's Tommy Morrison Jr., Maybe Casey, Mo- I don't know. I'm, my apologies, dude. Like, I got no beef with you. I just forgot your name. <laughs> As if he listens to this. <laughs> yo, if you listening to this, yo, hit me up, bro. <laughs> but anyway, so he was supposed to fight. And the fight was contracted at, like, what, 200 pounds? And Rockman fought at 224. So it was like, oh, he's got to come down and wait. And I said, mm, red flag number one. Then number two, I saw the press conference and he was trying to talk trash to him. And then he did his normal thing he always does where he talks crazy and then he says, put a bet on it. If you think you're going to win, let's bet. Let's bet. And it's like, mm, that's red flag number two. Then the fight got canceled because Rockman couldn't make weight. And it was a week before the fight, which I thought, man, that's red flag number three. Because I've never heard of a fight being canceled because a guy didn't make weight a week before. Like, I know guys that will lose all this water weight the night before. But then they started saying, well, in New York, the Athletic Commission in New York doesn't want you to lose too much weight too fast because it's not healthy for you. So they're a little more strict than they were doing pre-weight checks. And I said, okay. So then they said, ah, we had moved it up to 205. And we said, hey, listen, we can meet at 205. 
And then apparently Rockman's camp came out and said, nah, we'll do it at 215 and we won't fight. Now, what also happens is, is if you don't make weight or you miss weight, they said, well, you lose all your purse. You lose like 25,000 or 25% or something for every pound you're over. And he said, all right, well, then the minimum I could get is 5,000. So I'll fight you for the minimum amount and I'll come in at 215. And Jake Paul said, nope, we're not doing it. I said, I was going to go up to 205. That's ridiculous. You're not professional. So Jake Paul came out, said the event was canceled. He's not professional. I'm tired of these boxers who talk blah, 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 blah. So I seen Rockman came out and said, that's not the case. Who does that? Blah, blah, blah. I told him I'll do it this. I told him I can get down. And then the night before the fight where they were supposed to weigh in, he weighed in at 206. He did his own little weigh-in in his own gym. He came in at 206. So he would have been a pound over the 205 they agreed to. He would have lost 25% of his, his check, I believe. And then they would have had a fight. And he's saying, that's not what happened. That's not how it works. Who does that? Who cancels the fight? Because somebody make weight a week out. That don't happen. Blah, 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 blah. Then immediately, Jake Paul started challenging other guys. And the guys he was challenging were not boxers. He was once again calling out Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz. He was calling out KSI, who had a fight that was canceled. He called him out. He said, oh, your fight fell through. Mind, I'm available. I'll come right now. Let's fight right now. Unless you're scared. Red flag again. And I started thinking, why? What is it? What is the problem I have? And I kept coming back to, he's a fraud. Then you start hearing things where, you know, Dana White and Joe Rogan and people who are on the inside who know, know, said actually what happened with the Rockmont fight was they couldn't sell enough tickets. They hadn't sold enough tickets a week out, and they knew they were going to come in way under what they wanted to. They were going to end up losing money on the event, so they just canceled it. Mm, That's believable. I think that that could be it. I think it was a multitude of things. But I find it interesting that the one boxer he was going to fight who posed a legitimate threat just based off of sheer size and experience, as well as someone who's relatively young still, like Rockman Jr., I believe is what, 31, 30, 31, not old guy. And he wanted to fight you and he sparred with you. So he's already taken your best punch and they released the footage and come on, it looks like what you think it would look like. It looks like a guy who's sparring, trying to give him some work, trying to coach him a little bit, encourage him a little bit, talk a little trash, get his head, give him some good work. Now, meanwhile, Jake Paul thought he was winning the fight and they're like, bro, we're not even fighting, we're just sparring. I'm just giving you jabs, I'm giving you open looks. I'm doing my job to help you. This ain't a fight. If this was a fight, it wouldn't go down this way. But again, Jake Paul's a fraud. So this past weekend, KSI had an event, and if you don't know who KSI is, he's a he's a YouTuber, a musician, and he's also a guy that box. He's the guy who I would say is one of the guys who really kicked off the YouTube boxing thing. He fought um, Logan Paul as like the first big one that was on the zone that I saw, and was like, "Who are these guys?" Not realizing they were just YouTube guys. And then, you know, uh, Jake Paul fought on the undercard against Anderson Gibb, and it was like a big event. And it was kind of like the real kickoff to this whole thing. So he had an event on Saturday where he fought twice in the same night. He fought one guy to open the card, and then he fought another guy in the main event. Now, the interesting thing was every bit, I watched the whole thing. Unintentionally, I watched the whole fight card. And every single fight was fun. It was funny. These guys are clowns. Some of them aren't very good, but like they're all relatively close to the same skill. So it was just fun to see. 
It was fun. I had a lot of fun watching it. And I would be excited to watch the next card. But I realized the key thing. None of them were calling out professional boxers. None of them were calling out professional fighters. They were calling out other influencers. Other guys in that space that they could fight. They didn't step out of pocket. They didn't start going too crazy. They called out other influencers. Other YouTube guys. And to me, that's where the fraudulence of Jake Paul comes in. Jake Paul made a massive mistake. He miscalculated this whole thing. I believe in my heart that Jake Paul thought when he started boxing that if he could ever get to the point of getting in the ring with a guy like Canelo Alvarez, that the world would get behind him and say, how is it possible that this kid who started out on Disney, that started out on YouTube, is now in a championship fight against one of the greatest pound-for-pound fighters of all time? How how did he get this far? It's like a rocket. It's a, it's a feel-good story. He thought he would be America's darling. The problem was nobody likes Jake Paul to begin with because of the way he comes across as I want to be the bad guy. I'm brash. I'm bold. I don't care. Blah, blah, blah. I talk trash. And what he doesn't realize is now nah, we don't really support that. But he's seen it work with other boxers. Ding, ding, ding. Floyd Mayweather, who came out as the villain and became incredibly successful doing it. The problem is... When you start calling out real fighters, guys who have dedicated their life to being championship fighters, to winning these belts, to being real fighters, when you call them out and your resume consists of Anderson Gibb, YouTuber, Nate Robinson, retired basketball player, Ben Askren, retired UFC guy who's notoriously known for not being a good striker and also coming off of a hip replacement surgery. When you do that, your resume says, yo, who are you to call anybody out? It makes you more unlikable because it's like, yo, you way out of pocket. Here was the mistake Jake Paul made. Jake Paul should have started and should exist at this moment Fighting all of these UFC guys. Jake Paul, not UFC, I'm sorry. Fighting all of these YouTube guys. If Jake Paul had stayed there and run through all of these guys, he would be top dog. He'd be the king. He'd be the Mike Tyson of influencer boxing. He'd be the most feared man on the planet, knocking everybody out. And then you know what people would say? I wonder how we do against a real boxer. I wonder how we do against a pro. Then you can go fight. Tyron Woodley. Do the same thing you did. But what happened now is you've had 12, 13 fights. You 13 and 0, 13 knockouts, knocking out all these guys, building a reputation of being, oh, he's legit. And then you go against a real fighter, like a Tyron Woodley, knock him out. Now, instead of people saying, yeah, but they're saying, maybe, it changes the whole landscape. Because what you did was you fought Nate Robinson and immediately shot for the moon. I want to fight. I could beat Canelo. Huh? Bro, you, what? You didn't even, you didn't even get Nate Robinson through two punches? <laughs> like, you think you ready for Canelo now? Now nah, you're talking crazy. Then you go out and you beat up Ben Askren and you try to convince us that he was somebody, like, 
that was a real challenge. And we looking at it like, yo, we we seen him. We saw we saw him. We know what that was. Don't try to convince me that he's on par with Canelo. Then you beat up Tyron Willie. I'm like, yeah, but like Tyron Willie was over the hill five years ago. See, now you have those, yeah, but because you're trying to paint those as the reasons and the examples of, look, this is how good I am. Look at what I'm doing. And we're like, nah, if you ran through the YouTube circuit first and then you moved on to these guys, we would view them as a step up. Whereas now we don't view them as a step up because it's like, come on now. But in the meantime, you could be making crazy bank right now fighting those guys. But instead, you wanted to mess around with boxing and say that you're a real boxer and you're going to be a champion one day. The reason why Jake Paul is a fraud is what weight class do you fight in? What weight class do you claim? Cruiserweight? Okay. How many cruiserweights have you fought? None. How many guys ranked in the top 100 of cruiserweights have you fought? None. How many guys on the rankings of WBC that you would have to go through to rise up the ranks being someone who can be considered a mandatory opponent for cruiserweights have you fought? None. You fought nobody in your weight class to get a belt. You fought nobody that's in the cruiserweight division to get you any closer to a title. You're not any closer to a title now than you were before you started. Jake Paul is no closer to a world title than I am. He's done nothing to get any closer. But yet you want me to believe that you're a championship caliber boxer? That you want to be champion one day? Fraudulent. I think Jake Paul decided to fight for fun. Jake Paul is an athlete. They were athletes. Him and, him and Logan Paul both good athletes. Played sports in, in school. Great athletic ability. They stay in shape. I think boxing training is cool. I think anyway, if you've ever trained in boxing at any, it's cool. It's cool. It's a great way to work out, right? And you feel better, but you build confidence that you can kind of do some things. You feel cool when you, uh-uh, you know, <laughs> shadow boxing. You feel cool. We do. We men, we do. We seen Rocky. When you feel like you can bounce with the jump, I can't jump rope like they do with that little rhythm. I can't do it. But man, if I ever figured it out, I'll feel like the man. When you could bounce around in the mirror and you got the little shoulder roll going, everybody, we did we men, this is what we do. Come on, let's be honest. So he does it. And he has immediate success knocking out Anderson Gibb. And that feeling of beating somebody in that crowd and everybody cheering and going crazy, that adrenaline rush has to be so intoxicating. It has to be such an amazing feeling to have that. So now take that feeling and say, all right, let's do it again. And the next challenge you get is fighting on the card of Roy Jones Jr. and Mike Tyson. So you're going to meet these guys. You're going to fight in the same ring as these guys. And you're going against Nate Robinson? Come on, I'm going to win that fight. And you win that fight. And Snoop Dogg is there commentating. And it's one of the most hilarious moments ever. And it's this instant meme. And you're this guy that now everybody knows. Everybody. Did you see what happened to Nate Robinson? Oh, my God. That's unbelievable. Blah, blah, blah. Now you're a talking point. Now everybody's talking about you. And what did you do? You parlayed that in trying to get a massive payday. Everything Jake Paul does is geared towards a payday. 
He doesn't want to fight Canelo because he thinks he can beat him. He wants to fight Canelo for the payday. He knows that would be a massive payday. And guess what? If he loses to Canelo Alvarez, whatever. Nobody thought he's going to win anyway. But if he won, holy cow. What a massive achievement that is. But the priority is the payday. Secure that payday. Get that fight. Win or lose. Doesn't matter. I got nothing to lose. And that's exactly what he would say in the lead up. I got nothing to lose. This is pound for pound number one in the world. I'm just a guy coming from YouTube. I just picked this up a couple years ago and I'm fighting here. The point is he, he's not, he has not done anything to earn a fight with a Canelo Alvarez. He hasn't done anything to earn a fight with a world champion fighter. He hasn't done anything to earn a fight with a, a fighter of any caliber or status. He hasn't earned it. Because he's a fraud. He walks around like, I'm a real boxer, I'm a real boxer, but isn't trying to fight any cruiserweights. So then he recently comes out and he says, oh, uh, I wouldn't fight Izzy Adesanya. Right? I wouldn't fight Stylebender from the UFC. He's, he's one of the greatest strikers ever. But hold on a second. If you a fighter and you think you're one of the best boxers, you wouldn't fight him because you think he's really good? So are you? am I to get from that that you want to fight, you don't want to fight guys that you think are like legit, like top level strikers? You just want to fight lower level strikers and then knock them out. But they have a name. So because somebody like a Conor McGregor has a name and name recognition and can promote the fight and get you a bunch of buys, you want that fight. You don't care how good of a striker he is. You want that fight. Hmm. Fraud. I've never met a boxer that didn't want to fight the best boxers or the best fighters. I've never met or I've never seen a guy in the UFC who thought he was great not want to fight whoever anyone else thought was great to challenge his ability and see where he really was and see what he could really do against the best. But Jake Paul doesn't want to fight the best. Jake Paul wants to fight whoever can get him the most money. And if he's going to fight someone who he thinks is better than him, as long as the money attached to it is really good and he can get a big payday, win or lose, he'll take it. But him calling out the guys he was calling out was a red flag. You were going to go from fighting Tommy Fury, who is a boxer who's fighting guys in his weight class and is moving through the ranks like he's supposed to. You went from fighting that to he can't fight you again. I Whatever, I'm done with him. The fighting has seen Rockman Jr., a legit boxer, a guy who's boxing and working his way through the heavyweight ranks. You were going to drain him, sure, but that's fine. I get it. Like, You need the name, but I can't get up to 220. That's that's crazy, bro. I, I fight at Cruiser. I fight at 190. I get it. I'll give you a pass for the weight thing. I ain't mad at you for the weight thing. But then once that falls through, you now turn your sights from, well, I'm done with him, and now I'm focused on like KSI. Because that's the biggest fight. We would sell out Wembley. We would 100,000 people in the stadium, millions of pay-per-view buys. We would, that would be, that fight needs to happen. Hmm. If I'm KSI, I say no. I don't fight Jake Paul. I tell Jake Paul, no. You abandoned us. You started out with this influencer boxing thing. You started here. And then you immediately tried to leave and make it seem like you were above all this. And now when this is doing well now, because that KSI event, I, I promise you, did really well. That did well. They made some real money. And that was fun to watch. And I will be watching the next one. Because it was fun. Those guys knew who they were. They knew where they were. They knew what level they were at. And they weren't trying to pretend like they were anything better than what they are. 
You went away from that, Jake Paul. You separated yourself from that, Jake Paul. You said you wasn't of that, Jake Paul. You were a real boxer trying to fight for a world title one day. And now you want to come back and fight KSI, the top earner there, because that will be a big payday. If I'm KSI, I'd be like, no, I'm not giving you that payday. I'm not allowing you to come back over here to this space that you abandoned and pretend like now you want to be of this. Because what Jake Paul is trying to do right in front of your eyes is sneak back over that way. Start fighting more guys in that realm to get that money, but those safe fights. Because don't get me wrong, Jake Paul's beating all those guys. Jake Paul's beating every one of those guys because he's training with professional fighters. He's training to fight professional fighters and taking that training and using it against guys who are not professional fighters. It's basically like, um, it's basically like if Mike Tyson decided he wanted to start coming back to fighting and decided, hey, I'm going to start fighting teenage kids now. I'm going to start fighting middle school kids. It would be like, you're taking all that training and strength and power you got and you're using it against guys who have no idea what they're about to encounter. And then it's come out this week, lo and behold, Jake Paul puts out an announcement on his Twitter. He tweets out something. Big announcement coming soon, next fight in October. It's going to be a professional boxer with a winning record. Again, red flag. I've never heard a boxer announce his next opponent by letting us know he's got a winning record. What? Why? Because he wants to convince you that guy's good. Because look at his record. Look at his record. He's got a winning record, so he's good. I'm not fighting a nobody. I'm not fighting a bum. I'm fighting a a professional boxer with a winning record. And I said, I smell something fishy. And sure enough, who's he supposed to be fighting? Anderson Silva, a 47-year-old guy who got out of UFC and started boxing. And yes, he's good. He's pretty good. He's pretty good for a 47-year-old guy who's fighting other 47-year-old guys or guys who retired from one sport and picked up boxing. He's pretty good. Yeah, he beat Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., but that guy has been a disappointment his entire life. (laughs) Who hasn't? At this point, I'm telling you, Chavez Jr. doesn't beat Jake Paul because Chavez Jr. just don't really want it. He went in there against Anderson Silva and got beat up. Listen, Anderson Silva is a good striker, a good fighter. He's got skills. He's got knowledge. He's got. A, he's got. He's slick. Nobody thinks he's winning any titles in boxing. It's not going to happen. He's it, no, sorry, but he will be the best guy that Jake Paul's ever fought. But the fact that you're trying to sell it as this is a professional fighter because technically he is, he has a winning record. He does technically a three and one. So sure. And he's a very recognizable name, and he's a guy that people say, go fight that guy next. He's pretty good. Go fight. Test your skills against him. The problem is, is Jake Paul, what are you? Again, are you a professional fighter trying to win a world title in boxing? And if so, what weight class are you fighting in? Because for this fight, apparently he wants to go down to 185 to fight him. Well, dude, what, what, weight, are you, what weight class are you in? Right? Like, what weight class are you in? And is that the title you want, or are you trying to move up or move down? But all of this, I'm going to fight this guy now. Or I'm going to fight that guy now. 
oh, I'm going to fight that guy now. And just picking and choosing who you fight based on no rhyme or reason other than, well, he's a big name. I'll fight him. There was talks of him fighting Andrew Tate. What? Andrew Tate's not even a professional boxer. So he's got to register, and this is going to be his pro debut, and he's going to be fighting you. And are you fighting him because you think he's the best? You think he's someone to challenge you? Or do you think he's someone who can get a massive payday because he is the it guy right now? He's all over the internet. You can't go on the internet without seeing Andrew Tate. But why are you want to fight that guy? That guy's not a bo- he's not boxing. Because he's a fraud. Because Jake Paul's in it for the money. Jake Paul was a rapper once too. He gave that up. Jake Paul walked away from YouTube too. Gave that up. Because once the money, once he gets the money he wants, then he moves on to the next interesting thing. I have zero doubt in my mind that one of two things is going to happen. Either A, Jake Paul's going to lose. And then he's going to take a step back and not really, yeah, this really isn't worth it. I'm not really that interested. I proved my point. Or B, he's going to get a massive payday. And once he gets that payday, it's over. If Canelo Alvarez said, I'll fight you in, in, in March next year, he's going to take that fight. And once he gets the payday from that fight, I promise you, win or lose after that fight, he would say he's done. He retired after the first Tyron Woodley fight. He said, I think I'm done. I need a break. Huh? Bro, you fought like t- twice. I know you're training crazy, but come on, dude. This, this was the pinnacle for you? Beating Tyron Woodley was the top of the food chain for you? You're a fraud. And look, like I said before, if Jake Paul goes back to fighting YouTube guys and fighting guys in that lane and that's the lane that he chooses to go with, I'll support him 100%. If Jake Paul decides to go be a professional boxer and do it the right way and fight boxers and fight fighters and try to work his way up the rankings to get a title shot, I would support him. I would actively look at him and say, yo, I'm rooting for you, bro. That's amazing. Go ahead and do it. The problem is Jake Paul isn't committed to either one. He keeps bouncing back and forth depending on what's going to be the biggest payday. And that I can't support. I can't support you just going out for the money. I can't support you saying I'm going to fight Anderson Silva because he can get me money. And then I'm going to go fight KSI because he can get me money. And then maybe I'll come back and fight Tommy Fury because he might be a big fight by then. And then I'm going to call out Canelo Alvarez and say that I could beat him now. I don't support that. I don't think KSI should fight you because you don't deserve it. You turned your back on the YouTube world. You turned your back on all of this. You, you dragged us through the mud like we wasn't nobody. You was above it. Okay, fine. I ain't giving you no fight. If I'm Canelo Alvarez, I'd never fight Jake Paul. Get out of here. You don't deserve it. I dedicated my life to this. You dedicated a couple years and you think you're worth a fight with me? Nah, get out of here. And I think as fans, we need to stop buying into this nonsense. What are you buying into? And he talks trash. And he talks crazy. He talks brash because he's trying to be the villain because that's what Mayweather did. He wears all. He wears every piece of jewelry he has to the press conference. He walks around with a stupid belt that he made himself. He, had, he didn't even earn the belt that he got. He made a belt himself to make himself feel like he earned it. Come on, get out of here, man. And he tries to just be like Mayweather because his thought is, hey, all press is good press. If you're watching me to watch me lose, at least you're watching by the pay-per-view. Nah, I'm out. I'm out. Not doing it. See, I think Logan Paul did it right. Logan Paul came out for KSI and it was like, oh, I'd love to fight again. But he wasn't calling out anybody. And then Floyd Mayweather and them, they started negotiations. So we started the, that process of being like, well, I'll talk trash to Mayweather because I want to I see it. That'd be great. That'd be amazing. 
And for him, again, he showed a lot of respect after the fight. And he was, I think, more amazed at the fact of, like, I can't believe I was in there doing that. But Jake Paul, if you notice the way they came out of it was he said, look, I, I didn't get knocked out. I think I did pretty good for myself. And then Jake Paul had to come out and say, took your career, took your career. He retired Floyd Mayweather. He, my brother beat Floyd Mayweather. Like, what? See, you always go too far. You always go too far. Fraudulent. He's a fraud. That's why I can't get with him. So look, I'm I'm be honest. I'm super excited. College football is back. I can't wait. I cannot wait. Love college football. So I have a few uh few predictions for this week. Actually, before I get into that, I know I said that um I got some announcements that I wanted to make. Uh, the first announcement I want to make is every year you get these lists, right? You get like the top 100 players in the NFL, NBA best players. Inevitably, you go on YouTube, you go on any podcast or talking about who's the best quarterback. Well, I'm here to tell you, I've been talking about the best quarterback in the league. I talked all last season. I'm going to get a list. I'm going to do the list. I'm going to put the list together. I'm working on it. Well, it's completed. That's right. The ultimate best quarterback in the NFL for this upcoming season is finished. And I will be having an entire podcast to go through the list to tell you why, how, and who made the list. Now, I ranked everyone from first to 32nd or whatever the last team. I don't know how many it was, (laughs) but I ranked everyone. And I did it on a scale. I'll explain the whole thing in the show. I'll be doing an exclusive podcast for that. And I know the NFL starts next week. So that podcast, the QB list, will be coming out on Monday. That's right. September 5th. Labor Day. I don't know. Something like that. But it will be coming out. It's finally finished. I have it done. And listen, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you right now. I was shocked. At the way the list turned out. Because again, this is the ultimate list because I am not biased. I have who I thought was, who I think is the best in the league. Doesn't match with what the list says. But the list is non-biased. So stay tuned for that. And also, the second announcement I want to make is I am officially launching into YouTube. That's right. It's been a while. Uh, It's been a lot of... um, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of influence from uh, you know my two brothers uh, who are who are doing YouTube now, you know just seeing them do it and seeing the joy they get from talking about it and the process of it and, and really doing some research behind it. I've always honestly been very nervous and afraid about being on the camera. Yo, I'm sweating right now just saying this because I know once I say this, then I have to come through. I have to produce on it, but I'm gonna do it. I'm going to put myself in front of the camera. I'm going to make some YouTube videos for you. I'm going to start the YouTube side of it. We'll be having the podcast. I will be having uh, the visual podcast. So you can watch it on YouTube if you want. If you don't want to just listen. If you want to see me. If you want to see the faces I be making. The sweat dripping from my forehead when I be getting into this stuff. Then you could tune in that way. And on top of that, I will also be having YouTube-only content. While I'll be doing videos specifically for YouTube. Right? 
On top of that, we'll be having some some live streaming going on. I'll be live streaming after games. So like this Saturday, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to live stream after the Ohio State Notre Dame game because, hey, I'm probably going to be on cloud nine. Okay, because I've, I've been excited to see the Buckeyes back. It is happening, and they're going against Notre Dame, whom I dislike. Uh, <laughs> so when I see that beat down, that rat tat 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 smack smack, I'm probably going to be excited to get on the live stream. But we're going to be doing a lot of stuff like that this year going forward. Uh, just being more engaging, man. I really, I really missed doing the podcast. I missed getting my thoughts and my ideas out there in the universe because, look, I named the show Sometimes I'd Be Right for a reason. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, my ego is not big enough to think that I'm always right. But I will say, I always have a unique perspective on everything that's happening in the sports world because I don't believe all these cliches that they say. I don't believe in all this, you know, the stuff you hear all the time. You know what I mean? Like bulletin board material and all this and that and the stupid cliches that get through. I don't believe none of that. I'm done with all that. It's a, it's a new day. It's a new era. Nah, man. Think, things aren't always black and white. Most things exist in a world of gray, and there's multiple reasons and factors that go into everything. It's not as simple as, oh, that team lost because that quarterback is bad. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. And so what I feel like I fit in in this space is providing you with an alternate opinion, something else to think about. So when you're when you're talking with your friends at a bar, when you're talking with your friends at the house, or you're watching the game with your friends, you can look and be like, hey, you know what? Well, you ever thought about this? I heard this the other day on this on this show, on this podcast. You ever thought about it this way? Because I don't know about you, but every time I watch these these sports shows and these sportscasters, and they all talk the same way and have the same cliches and the same opinions for the same reasons, and it's like, come on. I'll tell you. Well, I'll give you a little sneak peek. One thing I will say is when you when it comes to me ranking quarterbacks, separate the player from the success. Separate it, because someone who is in a great situation could be producing big numbers because of the weapons they have around them, and not every quarterback has those weapons. And what would a lesser tier quarterback in your mind do if he were placed in the same situation as that great quarterback? So when I made my list, one of the big factors was, hey, all things even. We're not grading them on any achievement that they've had as far as wins, losses, Super Bowls, nothing. That don't matter. We're judging the player and their ability to play. Not their ability to play when everything is perfect and they have a clean pocket. Not their ability to play when they're being blitzed or whatever. Not. Can they play? There was five factors that I used and five things that I graded, which I believe to be key things that you'd want in a great quarterback. And then I ranked every one of them on that scale. Watched every one of them. Good and bad. Highs and lows from the season. Didn't just look at the highlights. Looked at all of the factors and factored everything and graded them all. And then just listed them out. Best to worst. Based on the grade. Not based on what I thought. Because trust me. There's a lot of guys who I think would be higher on my list. Than ended up being on my list. Oddly enough. (laughs) But I put this list together. But this list was bigger than me. The the fact this is an, an objective. I swear to you. I promise you a completely objective look and grading system to grade these quarterbacks on. So that'll be coming on Monday. So just a couple days. Um, look out for that. 
I know this podcast went a little wrong, but uh, that's my time, y'all. Look, I had a great time this week. I feel so good to be back. Listen, I know this podcast is going to be a little rough around the edges. I appreciate y'all sticking with me, riding it out with me. I love y'all. I appreciate y'all. Um, I am I am back. I am back. I'm committed to this. I never stop being committed to this. It's just, you know, sometimes life happens. You know what I mean? Your body breaks down a little bit. I'm getting old. I got to take care of myself. I got two kids. I got the wife. You know what I mean? Like, things happen, and time can get away from you pretty quick. And before you know it, you say, hey, this is recording day. You know what? I'll record later, and then later becomes two weeks. You realize you didn't record. But I'm back. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. And listen, we're going to take it one week at a time, one day at a time. We're going to get back in the groove of this thing, and it's going to be a well-oiled machine. You just stick with me for this season. It's going to be pretty good. So predictions for this week. College football is back. Week one is the worst week to predict. I'm telling you right now. Because most of the times you don't have a lot of big time good versus good matchups. You have a lot of these top teams playing nobodies because they don't have preseason in college. So you usually schedule a cupcake. And every once in a while when you got the big boys, the guys who really like competition like Ohio State, they'll schedule like a real, a real opponent for week one. So I only have three games I'm going to predict. I'm going to go with um, some top 25 matchups. I'm going to go with Georgia. They're going to beat Oregon. I think that game might be close in the beginning, but Georgia will pull away and show their dominance. I got Arkansas beating Cincinnati. And, of course, I got the Ohio State Buckeyes putting an absolute beatdown on Notre Dame. I actually think that game will be pretty close for the first, like, quarter and a half. I think after like the first quarter, midway through the second quarter, it'll be like a 14-10 or a 17-3 type game where it's not really out of hand. And then I think Ohio State pulls away. I think uh, as, as much as much as, as Notre Dame wants to have bulletin board material being 17.5 point underdogs, I think at the end of the day in college football, if you don't have the athletes, if you don't have the players, it don't matter how bad you want it. Also, if y'all know me, you know. Road games in college, I'm not picking the road team. All right, if you're going on the road at night, nah. Sorry, homeboy. It's pretty much decided that home team is gonna win that. Crazy things happen for teams at home. The energy is different. It's all crazy. It's very difficult to win on the road, especially at night, especially when you're going against the number one team in the country. And yes, I do think Ohio State wins the national title as of right now. But we'll get more on that later. We'll do a little uh, a recap on that game, I'm sure, this week. So, again, look for me on YouTube. I'll be posting all that stuff on my Instagram. My Instagram is now cyber underscore pod. That's S-I-B-R underscore P-O-D. Follow me on there. I'll be posting content almost every day. Uh, also, follow me on Twitter. Also, on Twitter, I am S-I-B-R underscore pod. That's cyber. Sometimes I'd be right. Join the cyber family. Also, on top of the YouTube, on top of the QB list coming out, I will, 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 will be coming out with some merch. I got some mock t-shirts made up. I got those coming in soon. I got some hats because, of course, we're going under the banner of JF Media. That is where all of my stuff will be coming out from. So, look. We're progressing. I didn't take this break and just sit back and do nothing. I took this time to really work on me. You know what I'm saying? Work on the thing. And when you see the YouTube, you will see the new and improved 
slightly upgraded trash can studios do not worry you will be seeing a clean look behind me but trust me on the other side of that camera all the trash still exists this is still trash can listen this has been sometimes i'd be right i'm your host john ferris thank you for listening have a good week watch the games follow me on instagram i'll be posting on there look out me from look out for me to go live look out for youtube i'm back baby i'm excited have a great week